It's the Geeky Waffle Podcast. Today we're talking about reboots done right. I'm Candace, and with me is my co-host, Arzu, and our special guest, Hope. Hey, Hope. Hello. And we decided to talk about this topic because Hope and I are huge fans of the rebooted DuckTales that just recently came to an end. Yeah. Oh, it was so good. I, I can't even begin to just celebrate how beautiful and lively and solid this show is. It's really great. I was thinking about, like, why is this a good reboot? And it kind of, like, brought up, like, some points, like... It needs to respect the roots of the original, like respect and like love the original, right? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think a good reboot um, not only pays homage to the original source material, but also does its own thing. And I think that's where some reboots fail. Um, and like, like say, take something like the live, the quote unquote live action Lion King. I it just pretty much was a rehashing of the original movie and didn't do anything to go out and become its own thing. And I think that's where definitely where DuckTales totally succeeded because there's so many in jokes, but they did like some fundamentally different things like make Huey, Dewey, Louie and Webby drastically different characters with their own thoughts, feelings and wants and needs, which was huge. Yeah, and that's kind of like learning from their past mistakes. Like in the original DuckTales, Webby is like younger and they, they're like, ew, she's a girl. But in this reboot, she's like an action girl. Someone like little girls could look up to and yeah. like admire. That was one thing with DuckTales where I was like, I don't really see myself there. I feel like maybe the problem with Webby in the original DuckTales is not that she's a girly girl because like nothing wrong with a girly girl, but exactly, she is yeah. so much younger than the target demographic that there's nothing to like she is the kid that you as a child are trying to avoid because of how young she is yeah or at least how young she reads anyway yeah she's like it feels like she's under five yeah she's like barely kindergarten age yeah and the triplets are like oh she's a baby and you're like yeah i don't hang out with babies (laughs) yeah especially if you're like eight and watching ducktales you're like right you don't hang out with babies yeah Mm mm-hmm So I feel like the people who make these reboots need to be fans of the original. And that's another thing with Mm DuckTales is like, obviously, everybody who's on board loved the original, right? Absolutely. Um, Frank um, has been very forward about like how much like the entire team were just fans of the series growing up and not just the original DuckTales series, but the comic materials as well. Um, they brought in so many comic nods, like the Bombie. That is a character straight from the comics and how they handled that story. So it's not just being a fans of just the, the television show, but it's of all DuckTales properties that they were a huge fan of. I, I was thinking about this and something that you guys were talking about in your absolutely fabulous episode for Love, actually. One of my favorites. That debate was fun. Um, but it was, I can't remember if it was Arzu or Vanessa. Um, so I'm sorry, I can't remember who exactly it was. But one of you guys said that if we're going to hold movies to the standard of their time and that they don't, and they don't age well, then nothing ages well. 
And I think that's why reboots are important because we do love shows like DuckTales, but it doesn't age well. It hasn't. Like, like Webby is, Webby and Beakley are not very aged well characters, which is why like reboots are, are kind of important. So we can take these timeless stories that we love so much and modernize them. Like that was one of the, I, I, we have a list of reboots and that's why I put Sherlock on there because Sherlock is a fantastic reboot. It took this classic story with these classic characters that were problematic at times. You know, I'm not going to even begin to touch on, you know, Arthur Conan Doyle was a bit racist and sexist, but they were able to update the story of Sherlock Holmes, this very classic character for modern times for two fantastic seasons before it became absolute trash. But those first two seasons are fantastic <laughs> and a great example of a reboot. Yeah, and I just go back to DuckTales and I think about Jen. Jen in the original DuckTales is this racist caricature. He's a bumbling fool. He's supposed to be comedic. And they bring him back, but he's still funny, but not like in a self-deprecating way. Mm-hmm. And it, like a character. like Like not in a caricature way. Yeah, in a character yeah. way. He is an honorable man. He is a warrior. He has a lot of great traits. He just takes everything very seriously, which brings the humor, but there's nothing wrong with that. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, all those races, like, things, like, I try to watch the TV movie again as an adult, and I just, I couldn't. Mm-hmm. And, and I, still ha- like- I still have a soft spot for the TV movie just from nostalgia, but yeah, I know what you mean? <laughs> yeah, I, I do think nostalgia is also is used often to bash reboots. Uh, gosh, when the new She-Ra yeah. came out, oh boy, those quote on those those evil those those fanboys that are just really the show, oh crapping on the show. Sorry, I forgot I can't swear. Um, just really crapping on the show. Um, <laughs> we're just we're claiming nostalgia that this wasn't their She-Ra, but I think sometimes we get so wrapped up in nostalgia that we don't let new reboots breathe and do their own thing. But I also think nostalgia can be one of the most detrimental parts of a reboot if it's not handled properly. You know, DuckTales handles its nostalgia very well because at no point does any nostalgia joke take away from the story being told. But then there are other series where it's just like all playing on It's not a reboot, but this is the best example. Like, parts of the sequel trilogy of Star Wars hang so heavily on nostalgia, but they don't let the original characters breathe. I know it's not a reboot, but that's kind of the best example I can think of. And so I think nostalgia can be quite detrimental if it's not handled correctly. I agree. Like, that's why when when you both were saying, you know, uh, like, fans should be the ones to reboot, um, I was thinking, like, yes, but with that understanding that you are here to tell a new story that you're not here to make yourself feel the way you did when you were eight years old, because that's not possible. Mm-hmm. And that's one thing I think where like hope said, where the sequel trilogy had its issues with certain people trying to make themselves feel eight years old again. And DuckTales doesn't do that. They realize that this is a new story for a new audience and they can just bring the elements that they love into it without trying to make it exactly what it used to be because, Hey, remember that? No. Cause eight year olds weren't alive back then. That's that's actually why I haven't watched and, very many of the live action Disney movies. I've seen like one and a half of one. One being Lion King, and I've seen half. I've I've seen bits and pieces of Maleficent, but like when I see these trailers for like Beauty and the Beast and Lion King, there's nothing new that's jumping out at me. 
And I that's so I just right, I, like why would I waste my time on just the story when it doesn't seem like they're doing anything new? I would argue that there are a few Disney remakes that actually do something new. Maleficent does it, but I'm not really fond. Not in a good way. Yeah, not in a good way, but they tried. They tried. But okay. I really enjoyed <laughs> Jungle Book and Cinderella because yeah. they are the most different from their original source cartoons, animated movies. Okay. I and guess I- Cinderella had an easier time because like it's not the only ever live action take on Cinderella that we've seen like yeah that story gets retold a lot by Disney and non-Disney so I think that one had like less stakes like we're all going into it knowing it's just going to be the same thing again and the only thing was they could use like licensed name like Gus and Jack and all that but otherwise it it just like and it was beautiful like I love that version of Cinderella oh I just wanted to say and Jungle Book Jungle Book took more from the Rippling Kipling novel or story than it did the animated movie. Yeah, they have Baloo singing Bare Necessities, but it's very brief. And yeah. it ends similarly. Like Mowgli doesn't go back to the humans at the end. Nice. But yeah, go ahead, Hope. I was just going to say, if we're throwing out excellent reboots for Cinderella, the Rodgers and Hammerstein one with Brandy is fantastic. Oh, yeah. yeah. We're big fans of that. It's so good. They're big fans. So good. So good. Um, I will say, okay, but in defense of some of the live action movies that weren't like overall the best, being Beauty and the Beast and Aladdin specifically, there are things to appreciate about them that I think they did well. Beauty and the Beast being the aesthetic and Aladdin being most of the casting. Because like, you know, like the aesthetic of Beauty and the Beast, it is what it is and it's beautiful and looks like a painting and that's why I like it. But Aladdin, like, you know, is a Middle East set fairy tale that in the cartoon was cast entirely by white people. And the live action movie doesn't do that. So, like, yeah, stuff like right that. Yeah, wrongs of the past movies. Yeah, and, like, mm-hmm. a, you got, like, the whitest British male director to do it, and that was a choice. But, you know, it was a, a step in the right direction in that, like, most of the cast is Middle Eastern. So, like, that's good. So, baby steps, baby steps. But obviously, please be faster about it, Disney. <laughs> One of the major reboots that, that came out recently, I feel like, that did it right were the Planet of the Apes movies. Not the 2001 one with Mark Wahlberg, but the 2011 <laughs> Rise of the Planet of the Apes. It tells, like, the start of it, not, like, the planet already has a bunch of apes in it. <laughs> I have only seen the Mark Wahlberg one. I haven't seen any of them. And then went, this franchise is not for me. I I think we, maybe give the trilogy a chance. We we have a running joke on our podcast that my my co-podcaster just assumes I haven't seen movies because I actually don't watch a lot of movies in general. I prefer television as a medium and movies are just not really my thing. So I see maybe three to four movies a year at that. <laughs> so just assume I've never seen the movie. Okay. <laughs> so why why does Planet of the Apes then for you, Candice, work for you? It creates characters and relationships like Caesar and it's James Franco, but like I forget his character's name. Like you really feel for them and you understand. It brings a humanity to the characters. And like the old Planet of the Apes, 
is it didn't age well. <laughs> yeah. So bringing that story, it works. Mm-hmm. Okay, but okay, have y'all seen the Jumanji reboot? I no. love the Jumanji reboot. Thank I actually, you. controversially, like it more than the original. I can see that. I think this is another way where they pay homage to the original, but they make it a new thing. Like they go from board game to video game mm-hmm. and it works. And you're actually like in Jumanji this time versus in the board game, Jumanji comes to you. It stressed me out as a kid when Jumanji would like come to them because, you know, they're playing this board game and the house is falling apart and there's animals loose in the city. I'm like, who's going to clean this up? Like, this is me at age eight. No, Arzu, like, I was mess. the same way. I stressed out during that movie. I was like, it's too much. I hated I feel it. bad for these kids. I enjoyed, like, Robin Williams, obviously. But, yeah, yeah it stressed me out. My, no, my sister. I infinitely prefer the reboot. My sister owned that board game and would often scare me with <laughs> Like the actual board game of it, and she would, yeah. she would just be like, "Do you want to play?" And I'm like, "No, I'm five. Don't please, no." But I, I really want to see the Jumanji movie, the, the reboot, because I've heard nothing but good things about it, and how it really just takes a lot of stereotypical tropes and like turn it on its head, especially with like Karen Gillan's character. There was such a big hullabaloo around her outfit, and they were like, no, no, we promise we address this in the movie. And I'm like, yes, good for you. Arzu wanted to talk about the magic school bus. Yes. So, prefacing this with, I know a few weeks ago on Twitter, there was a whole thing about like them changing Miss Frizzle's appearance, and like I, it's not the same Miss Frizzle. This is her younger sister, and that's a whole thing, and I'm not, I'm not dismissing those concerns, but that's not the point I wanted to make. So... What I like about the reboot of Magic School Bus is like, I think for a lot of us, this show was like sort of gateway into science, like very basic science concepts that we were learning at school presented in like a really fun, accessible way. And what I really like about the reboot is that it not only presents science concepts, but it does what the original didn't. And it presents like a social application for a science concept. So it's not like the the stuff is not limited to science class. It's like one episode that sticks out is they were learning about I think like wind and like what blows over in the wind and what bends with it and all that but the social aspect was they were trying to build something for a school play and it kept falling so the lesson was like how to build like a strong foundation for a building and like what makes something wind resistant so there's the science lesson but then there's you know that social application too and all of the episodes are like this so that's one thing I really really like about this reboot is that they have sort of taken the concern of well this is just science and I don't care and be like but no it it applies more widely. That's they also diversified the cast a little bit, which is nice. Is it um <gasps> I just thought of our reboot added the list. But um is it Nelvana that's doing this <laughs> run of magic uh school bus as well? Or do you know? Uh ooh. I keep wanting to say box lunch, but that's a store. Um it's like it's something like that. There's another Another animation house. I think they are also actually based here in Canada, but I don't okay. think it's Nelvana. Nelvana does it. the original one, so I was just like, like the oh, style okay. is very is very different. But but yeah, like the heart is still there. I, I have a little soft spot for Nelvana. Between uh, they they've done a lot of classic favorites, and also the holiday special, which was another fantastic episode from you guys. <laughs> 
I was really bummed though because I actually, not ironically, love the holiday special. <laughs> I think it does a lot of really cool things for Star Wars. I I haven't seen it yet, but we're gonna have an upcoming Space Waffles episode where I finally, oh, finally watch it. Oh, oh, I love it. Um, the reason I gasped loudly because I just thought of another fantastic reboot, um, which was the recent run of My Little Pony, which was just so, so well done. And for one, they created like very solid rules for the world, but they also made each of the main sex characters very drastically different characters. If I came to you guys and I was like, hey, do you want to watch the show about a scholar, a farmer, an athlete, a fashionista, a veterinarian, and a party planner, all women, saving the world and working through their social problems, would you want to watch that show? Well, yeah. Yeah, that was my I'm little guessing pony. That's, that's my little pony. <laughs> that, that is my little pony. And they handle it so well. And they do such a good job of setting, like, the mythology. Like, there's a very deep lore and mythos in this show, which, and which you know, in the, the 80s shows, it was more just like, friendship problem of the day, which the current reboot does do that. But they also have these deep rules and mythos. Like, the season, I think, four finale ended with the destruction of the world and having to time travel and figure out a way to stop the world from being destroyed. They did an entire episode based in, like, the real world, uh, what's happening in real world communist, like communism right now through using real world examples from China. Like, I was just so impressed with how My Little Pony oh my God. handled these Whoa. like kind of things. That's intense. It, it was. I was watching that episode. And I was like, this is like, this is China right now. Oh my goodness. Um, so yeah, like My Little Pony was a fantastic reboot. And it is not for everybody. I do want to say that. It is not a show for everyone. It's cool if it's not your jam. But I... I loved, I watched all nine seasons. Those most, some seasons are better than others, but it was, it was a really solid run. Oh, who wrote One Day at a Time? I did. Hope, hope, go for it. What, what's so great about One Day at a Time? One Day at a Time is a show that the reason it's a good reboot, because it made me want to go back and watch the original. And it also is clearly a generational show because I watched this show with my stepmom. My stepmom is 70, and so she grew up watching the original show. I had never seen the original show, but like DuckTales, one day at a time made me want to go back and at least check it out to kind of get an idea. But the, it was able to hold both an original fan of the show as long, alongside with me. And so me and my, my stepmom would often have these conversations about the show, like how it handled like updated themes and stuff. And it made it very, very modern. Having this Cuban-American family dealing with, um, and, and Penelope also being a veteran. So they're navigating like so many modern affairs. Like they have entire storylines about PTSD and substance abuse. Um, the the character of Elena um, is a lesbian. Huh? Oh, the cover depression as well. Yeah, depression. Um, and okay. and Elena is a queer character, and they have non-binary characters. Um, it was just, it, it handled racism, sexism, misogyny. Like, it just did so much in such a short amount of time. And Netflix is cruel. And thank goodness that the fans try to save it a few more times. But Netflix just completely mishandled the show. And it should have never been canceled. And it's criminally was cut short because of 
COVID and it sucks because it was one of the best shows on television with, and it was just, it was so good. And also Rita Moreno is just fantastic in that series. I, I really hope somehow it gets another reboot of its own, of itself to continue because it was cut short and it shouldn't have been just one day at a time. It was just a good way of taking this old format of a show and completely updating it to modern storytelling, addressing issues that matter now. And also always being charming. It was such a charming little show. It was hilarious. Adding so many shows to my list right now. <laughs> I lo- like I, I, I second everything Hope said. Like I adore, <laughs> adored one day at a time while it was on. And I had never seen the original. I was only peripherally like aware of it. But app like very highly recommended. What did you guys think of the 1990s Parent Trap? I, I didn't f- like the old one, so I really liked the 90s one. I, I actually forgot that it was a reboot because that was actually my first experience. And then I had watched the older one after that. So I like both of them for different reasons. But the 90s one is actually my nostalgia because I watched it first. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing about Same. a lot of these movies, especially as a kid, you don't understand the concepts of reboots or remakes and things like that. Like I saw the remake of Sabrina. With Harrison Ford before I saw yes. the original with Audrey Hepburn. I still haven't seen the original. I like the Harrison Ford one so So much. do I. I don't know if it was because I was such a Star Wars fan as a kid. I was like, oh my gosh, Harrison Ford's in this. Let's rent it. Which was a lot of my choices. I mean, Buffy the Vampire Slayer was a, a reboot. Movie. Yeah, technically, yeah, because it was a reboot of a movie. movie. I, I think that's actually what's <sighs> so Whedon, important, just, though. disappoint me. Yes. Joss Whedon is a hot garbage man. Parent Trap is, I think it just, it works for our generation because I feel like kids do understand like things from the past, but modernizing it helps a lot. Because, yeah, it's, uh, I mean, like not that kids can't empathize with people who aren't living their direct experience, but it is much easier to empathize, like, especially as a small kid with a kid who is like living in the same, you know circumstances you like i had very hard time connecting with the original parent trap and i granted watched it after the 90s one but i couldn't connect with it at all i'm like this doesn't the sense of humor isn't mine the the way they behave isn't like the way my friends behave whereas like the 90s parent trap had all that so i'm like i don't quite know what i'm looking at you know what i mean i feel like parent trap and i'm also gonna throw in here freaky friday as well because that because that was also a really fun reboot um what I think both of these movies do so well is they play on these very timeless tropes. Um, this like, you know, like switched at birth, you know, getting your parents back together and, or, or like in the, the context of Freaky Friday, like a body swap. And these kind of tropes are timeless storytelling tropes. So I wouldn't be surprised if we see Parent Trap and Freaky Friday get rebooted again in another few years. This, these are the kind of stories that can be rebooted about once every 20 years. And I think that's why reboots, I, I was thinking about this while you were talking, Candace, um, why a lot of these shows are so important because DuckTales, Parent Trap, you know, these shows are somebody's first experience. We all experienced this 90s one before the, the older one. We're all, somebody's, some kid is going to watch the reboot of DuckTales and that's going to be their first experience into DuckTales. And so when, so, you know, and like, 15, 20 years when DuckTales gets another reboot, those kids will be like, oh, this one was my nostalgic one. 
And I think that's what like the really cool thing about reboots is, is that it is always someone's first and that's awesome. And that's, that's, I feel like is the point of them to introduce these new audience to these classic stories, but in a modern updated way. Well said, Hope. Yeah, completely agree. And it's great if like the reboots inspire the younger generation to look back and see what was inspired by it. Yeah. Yeah. Are there any other remake y'all can think of that you'd like to mention? I got to mention (laughs) She-Ra. It is just such an important show. And not just because it's a reboot. It sets such a bar of how to not only tell a queer story, but also how to tell how to flip traditional stories on its head. And being a reboot is just like, you know, a plus because it it does pay homage to the original source material. And this is I'm going to say this, but I'm, I'm, you know, I, of course, it, it hasn't come out at the time of this recording. So I just recently saw the new images for the Masters of the Universe reboot, and they're fine, but there's nothing that's jumping out at me that doesn't say this is a new thing. I'm still going to watch it. It's going to be a great time. But Shira, what it does so well is it took, it, it pays homage to the original source material, and then it just does its own thing. And Noelle Stevenson was so brilliant to take these very classic heteronormative uh, storytelling and give it to the queer characters. So it's it's Katra and Adora who get the long, slow burn romances, who get the little moments, who get the big final kiss. And all the hetero couples get what is normally given to queer characters. Normally in a television show, the queer characters might get a kiss. They might get a professor love. They might get like a little hand-holding moment. But those big rem- emotional romantic stories are usually given to straight characters. But what Shira did so well is it did the opposite. Like I said, Katra and Adora got all their stuff, but all their straight couples just got the little like hand holders or like the little like kiss on the forehead. And it completely just flipped the narrative to and, and really set the bar of how to tell a queer story while still addressing stuff like PTSD, giving us neurodivergent characters with my baby girl and trapped up. Like it did so much. And is it a perfect show? No, there's no such thing as a perfect show. But it really was the culmination of the fight that came before it to have this kind of television show where Korosami and Steven Universe and Gravity Falls and and all these other shows that really fought to come before it. Shira finally like put a stamp of like, no. This is how to tell a gay story, well, whether or not it's media or whether or not it's animation or live action, this is how you tell the story. And we're never going to go back again. Um, I, I was talking with Arzu recently about how Sailor Moon, one of my, one of my favorite things in the world, which also is oh, yeah. kind of having a reboot right now with Sailor Moon Eternal. Um, you know, they used to censor Uranus and Neptune and would imply incest over letting them just be lesbians. And a show like She-Ra has put it to where that will never happen again. She-Ra will, will never allow that kind of censoring to ever happen again. And it became a very historic show, as well as being a great reboot. I have passion for that. <laughs> no, no I have, Hope, I, I love, love it. Like, I love it. Again, I like, adding to my watch list. I had like one more thing I wanted to add. I'm like, I don't know if I want to follow that now. I know. I can't add it. Do it. Never mind. It's fine. (laughs) 
No, the only other reboot that I wanted to shout out, and I know a lot of people don't like this, but I do, was the 2016 Ghostbusters. And let me explain why. Because I get SNL humor is not for everybody. It's not even for me 100% of the time. But what I appreciated about it was as a little girl who liked action movies, who liked this kind of hero, sci-fi, whatever, and not seeing a ton of girls in it, like... My cousins and I, when we would when we would like go play like whatever movie we'd just seen, like act it out for ourselves, we would always have to be like the guys. We didn't have girls in those movies to to be. So when when I saw this movie, then seeing it sort of play out virtually exactly like the first two character wise, obviously the plot's different, the jokes are different, but seeing the the characters sort of play out the same and like they're different archetypes and whatever and that they're all goofy but when it comes down to it like they can handle it and like do the action thing and and whatever like I walked out of that movie with my heart full and tears in my eyes because I'm like this is all eight-year-old me wanted and this wasn't the like the greatest movie I have ever seen and it wasn't like the most original movie I've ever seen but like this was all I wanted at age eight and I just deeply resent the implication that this has somehow ruined the original Ghostbusters. I really resent the new one coming out being like, we're taking things back to the original. I'm like, okay, so guys, you're taking it back to guys. This has become their thing again. Like, I'm sorry, we got our cooties all over it. So I just really wanted to shout that out. It's like, it's underrated. It's funny. It's like, like I said, not the most original movie in the world, but like none of these big IP things are. So, so that was my, that was my moment. And honestly, I think if something, a reboot can ruin your love of the original, you didn't really love the original that much. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, nothing can take. You love the idea of the original, but you didn't love the original if it was that easy for somebody else's joy to ruin yours. Yeah, absolutely. Can can I ask a question to the the panel? Yes. Do you guys think that, I'm I'm sorry, I'm trying to phrase this this uh, in the right way. Do you think that certain characters, because I, I see this like Batman and Spider-Man, those movies that come out with like new cast and new characters and new stories, do you consider those reboots? Because we were debating this a little yeah, bit I beforehand of whether or not yeah, uh, or whether or not the Spider-Man movies did consider our, our reboots or not. I don't think they are considered reboots because they're going off the source materials, which is comics. Like... Honestly, I wouldn't really consider. I know you put just talked about Sherlock, but I wouldn't consider that a reboot because it's based on books. See, I I would go in the opposite direction and say that yeah, like the source material is the same, but I would I would consider them reboots because it's a new take on the same story. It's like the same. It's a different aesthetic. It's a different cast. It's maybe a different message, a different approach, genre even. So like. The, the core of the story is the same because like all of this, all of this stuff, like the Disney stuff or DuckTales or any of it, like has a source that it came from. And it's just it's like, you know what I mean? Like, I don't think having source material necessarily means it can't be a reboot, like because it, it's a reboot of like a Spider-Man movie because there's a hundred iterations of the comics and you could take any which way you want. But you're you're sort of taking this general pop culture idea of spider-man and and altering it with like a new cast a new message a new a new take whatever 
Yeah, but would you consider Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse to be a reboot of, like, the Tom Holland Spider-Man? Yeah, because it's a franchise. Okay. Yeah, like, like, because especially because they're franchising it now. But I think, but then again, I think, like, hmm, this is, this is a little bit fuzzy. I was going to say because it's jumping genres, but then Disney does that. So, like, jumping styles, I mean, but... But it's it like I would consider it a reboot in that it is a new take on the same material. Okay. Y'all had to watch me think out loud. I'm I'm kind of in between both of you. I think it really depends on how it's used and the execution of it. Like um comic books by nature are made to be never ending na- narratives. They're like sports. Sports and comics are very much the same. The story will never end because you'll never have a final issue of Batman you'll never have a final issue of Spider-Man so when when I see like new comics come out I don't consider them reboots but when you have something like Andrew Garfield Tom Holland and Tommy McGuire I do feel like those are are reboots because they're in a different medium still tackling similar source materials but also telling new stories in different ways and same with Into the Spider-Verse I do think there is some fuzziness there because I do feel like into the Spider-Verse is not a reboot. Uh, I guess, well, I can't really say that because it pays homage to the other ones. They do pay homage to like Tobey Maguire. You know, Spider-Man does, uh, uh, Peter Parker does do the Spider-Man dance in Into the Spider-Verse. So I, I do think that's a very fuzzy thing. Because um, I was thinking about this in the I context think, oh, of, oh. of Power Rangers. You know, um, pa- the original Power Rangers show was an Americanized version of the show um, Super Sentai. And so that really was not, I don't consider the original a reboot because it was just pretty much taking the Japanese show and Americanizing it. But then you have the Power Rangers movie. That's the reboot of the original American show. That is a reboot. While the original show was not a reboot of Super Sentai. Does that make sense? Yes. So I will say, I think I figured out why Into the Spider-Verse is fuzzy for both of us is because all of these other reboots like happen after a certain amount of time. Whereas into the spider verse and the Tom Holland movies like that, those series are coming out concurrently. So Mm -hmm. it it doesn't feel like I, one is rebooting the other because they're both still happening. Whereas like, you know, the Disney remakes going from like beauty and the beast cartoon to live action. Like there was a 20 year gap in between or 20, 25, whatever year gap in between like the dark Knight movies, like all the Batman stuff. There are, intervals in between each iteration of batman whereas i think the into the spider-verse is the only one tripping us up because the tom holland movies and the spider-verse movies are, are sort of like overlapping in their release i think that's why but i, I also totally get what uh candace is saying about something like sherlock because i really don't see like the renata or the peter cushing like sherlock's as reboots because they are really just taking the original source material and just kind of putting a face to it but I do see the Benedict Cumberbatch version as a reboot because it is taking that classic story and modernizing it. Um, and if you get something like the Asylum version of Sherlock, which I highly recommend because it's Sherlock Holmes um, by the people who did Sharknado. So he is fighting dinosaurs and it's fantastic. <laughs> but like, I, I kind of do see that as a reboot too, because it is taking the story and putting in 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 a new absurd world so i really do think just the context and the execution really does matter i mean is is the great mouse detective a reboot or not it's hard to tell you know robin that's actually now that i'm saying this out loud to myself um i love that movie 
I feel like public domain stories have a lot more leeway because we have a hundred versions of Robin Hood. We have a hundred versions of Sherlock, but you know, I feel like that is, that is a great area when it comes to these public domain stories that anybody can write. My friend Lindsay Fay has written multiple Sherlock Holmes books, but I don't consider any of her books reboots of Sherlock Holmes, you know? To, not to totally dismiss Candace's point, I think maybe where the line is, because she's right, like source material being adapted onto the screen is not a reboot. Mm-hmm. I agree with that. 100%. I do totally agree with that as I well. I think maybe where that line is, is like... I'm going to go back to Beauty and the Beast because I can like branch off a bit, but like Beauty and the Beast is based on a French fairy tale. Fine. The Disney cartoon is an adaptation of the fairy tale. It's not a reboot. The 2000, when did this come out? 2016? I don't even know. 2017? The 2017 live action Beauty and the Beast is a reboot of the 1991 cartoon because they are borrowing character names and relationships and aesthetics and dynamics and all of that from the movie, not from the source material. Whereas like the 2000, 13, 2014, whatever, French live action, Beauty and the Beast, is not a reboot. That's an adaptation because they are pulling directly from the source material, not from, like, not from an older adaptation. I think maybe that's where the thing is, is if you're changing the adaptation into something new, then that's a reboot. If you're going back to the source material, then it becomes an adaptation and not a reboot. I just think of, like, the 2005 Pride and Prejudice. Would you consider that a reboot of uh, the Catherine Hepburn Pride and Prejudice? No, wait. No, because they're pulling from the source material. Yes. Or the recent Little Women. Is that a reboot of the 1994 Little Women? I don't think so because they're not taking that script. They're taking Louise May Alcott's book. Right. And reworking it into something. Yeah. It's just another interpretation. But I feel like a a star is born is a reboot remake because that's from scripts. That's from a movie. Right. They're 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 altering the movie that came before. Not altering, but like pulling from the movie that came before, not from a source material. Yeah. Yeah. Adaptation is definitely the word. Okay, that wow. Was this what this <laughs> Adaptation is definitely the word that was yeah, adaptation. Um that word was is really what I was trying and failing to describe when I was talking about Sherlock. So now, though, I want to pose to you guys a difficult question. You ready? Is the show Once Upon a Time an adaptation, a reboot, or both? It's a hot mess. That's what it is. (laughs) It's an adaptation. See, I think it's a both. Because I would say that the first three seasons... It's all three! Yeah, the first three seasons and Once Upon a Time in Wonderland, which I will argue is the far superior of the shows, um, those three, those, those three seasons in the in Wonderland are adaptations. But the moment they brought in Frozen and brought in characters like Elsa and Anna and and Hades to a certain extent, you know, they started kind of going into that reboot phase because they're pulling directly from Frozen source material, not the original source material of the fairy tale, which they had been doing for three seasons. So I do feel like it's a both. On that note, um, once upon a time <laughs> note, I, I would like to thank Hope for joining us. I love that. She is show. a honorable waffle. I do too. I do it's too. I was the it. biggest Rumble fan ever. I loved Rumble and Bell. Yeah, I mean, so I still, much. I still have like, the comments. That was my man. Show. I love that show. It's just, it was crazy. It was, mm-hmm. 
everyone had murdered someone's family member and then they're like we're friends at the end and it was like okay everyone had murdered someone's family member but they were all also related to each other it wasn't a family tree it was just, it was a family bush okay on that note thank you hope <laughs> and thank you arzu we want to know what is your favorite reboot or remake or adaptation you can find us at thegeekywaffle.com, geeky underscore waffle on Twitter, the geeky waffle everywhere else, including our Patreon, where you can listen to Waffles After Dark. It gets dirty, y'all. Gets syrupy. Syrupy, syrupy, dirty syrupy. We get sticky. <laughs> we hope you stay geeky. Wait, wait, wait. Yes. Wait. Hope, what? where can people find you? Oh, sh- Sorry, Hope. <laughs> no, you're fine. You're fine. Hope feels like one of the family I know. But... No, Hope just feels like part of the <laughs> waffles. Well, um, thank you so much for having me on, for, first of all. This is a lot of fun. And anytime I can scream at people about Shira, I'm here for that. Um, you can find me at Hope Makes Chris Watch Cartoons. That's my animation podcast where I force my friend Chris to watch my favorite animated shows. We are wrapping up Gravity Falls, and he's about to start watching Avatar The Last Airbender for the first time. So we are really excited about that. Um, I also have an animation podcast called J Guys and Jedi, and I write over at geeky, uh, geekygirlexperience.com, and I'm gearing up to do Owl House reviews for you guys, which I'm really super excited about. We're so hyped. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, we hope you all stay geeky.